Chelsea Fairless. Oh, that was very sexy. Was that just for me? It was. It was a little raspy uh, Kathleen Turner action. That's your sexy Terry Gross voice, as I call it. <laughs> We're back. We're doing another episode of In Just Like That. Yes, we are. But before we get into it, I just want to dedicate this episode to the great Andre Liam Talley, who passed away this week, who actually did enter the Sex in the City universe in the first film where he was seen chatting with Plum Sykes and carrying a very fabulous Louis Vuitton train case. I would like to think that on the podcast X, Y, and Me, Carrie is doing a tribute to Andre Leon Talley. I would hope so. So how did you find out? Because I found out in the group text that you, your wife, and me have, where we were probably talking about something to do with TikTok, and then your wife was just like, oh no, not Andre Leon Talley too. And I was like, oh no, what? I actually found out in a weird way because I was having dinner with Maya at Tower Bar, and I came back from the restaurant, and she was like, oh my God, Chelsea, like Andre Leon Talley just passed. And I was like started looking around and I'm like which way did he go like where's Andre and she was like no he died and I was like oh that's a buzzkill because it's like I don't hang out very many places where it would be like not that weird to see Andre Leon Talley but like that is one of them so you thought he, he passed you by but he just passed you by in a larger sense oh god he passed us all by unfortunately and it's such a loss like he's truly unique completely irreplaceable and it's depressing but you know what i hope he's in heaven wearing a giant white norma kamali sleeping bag coat i hope he's up there with diana vreeland like do you think there's a fashion section of heaven because i hope there is i hope so and i hope we can be in it or at least next to it <laughs> such a downer but shall we get into some calls from our listeners let's do it Hi, ladies. This is August from Chicago. My friends and I, as we're watching this and just like that, are just wondering, does Steve still own the bar with Aiden? Yeah, like, what's the status of Scout? Like, if he still had it, I feel like Miranda would have been drinking there when she was an alcoholic. And also, I feel like he would have made some sort of offhand pandemic reference. Like, oh, when I had to apply for that PPE loan or some shit. Yeah, I mean, the and just like that writing team will not be denied a pandemic reference. So, yeah, on the one hand, it's like, it doesn't seem like just New York nightlife in general that a bar would survive for 20 years however i think right now in new york the people that love a stoop as carrie would call it would love a bar circa the early 2000s totally well a new york dive bar never really goes out of style but yeah there's not a lot of work on this show like <laughs> we know that harry has a job we know that Carrie does, you know, record her podcast in Midtown once a week, but her work life isn't as demanding as it was on the series, right? She didn't have that weekly deadline. Circa the films, I just sort of wrote a narrative in my head that Steve got into programming bar menus for hotels or something or hospitality. 
That, no way. That's a narrative I completely made Absolutely up. no way. The people that have those hotel consulting jobs are like it girls slash DJs. You know <laughs> what I mean? True. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Lauren. This is Michael. I am just watching the new episode, and I'm shocked to see Charlotte in a Margiela cardigan. This feels completely offbeat and out of character for her. I'm guessing that maybe she got this at, I don't know, the, the Barney's closing sale. Can we discuss? So I just want to say that I absolutely love our audience because we got multiple calls about this and multiple calls that specifically theorized that Charlotte picked up this cardigan at the Barney's going out of business sale. (laughs) Sure, I think it's plausible, but it's also like very preppy looking for Margiela. I feel like this would be the kind of piece that like Bergdorf's would choose to sell. But do you think she understands the significance of Margiela or is that something that Carrie would have to explain to her? I don't know if she understands the significance, but I think any person with a lot of money just like ends up with some like cooler stuff. Like even if their instinct is to lean more into like classic, more conservative brands like Chanel and stuff. But also I think it's just as simple as her going to Net-A-Porter and typing in cardigan. Right. You know, which I'm sure is what the costume designers did. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Chelsea. Um, Congratulations on the interview piece and also um, the Vogue piece. After reading the Vogue article, though, I am really uncomfortable by your insistence that the character, particularly Miranda, wouldn't be ignorant or like awkward when it comes to matters around race. I am Black, and middle-aged white women, especially in Brownstone, Brooklyn, Park Slope, Brooklyn, they really don't know people um, who don't look like them. So for those of you who haven't read the Vogue article, I said that I do find it strange that these women don't have a single Black friend because they've lived in New York for upwards of 30 years. But I was not trying to suggest that these women would be woke or that Miranda and Charlotte's microaggressions aren't realistic. Like, as we know, these characters were never super socially conscious, and now that's being directly addressed in this storyline. But this is clearly a blind spot for us. I know in our first and just like that recap episode, we did discuss Miranda's more Karen-y behavior around Nia Wallace, and that felt out of character to us. But as the caller pointed out, that's not the point, as Miranda's behavior is true to life. Yeah, and I think that what we were trying and perhaps failing to succinctly express in the Vogue piece and in our initial comments about Naya and Miranda is that Miranda has a bumbling quality on and just like that that is inconsistent with how the character has been written in the past. And that feels more unrealistic to us than the fact that she has these racial blind spots. But of course, these two things are tied up together on this show. Yeah, what we should have said is we wish Miranda didn't behave this way. And I think that we go so hard in defending her, not just as fellow white women, but also as the authors of We Should All Be Miranda's. Yeah, that might have something to do with it. Who have spent a good deal of time and effort recontextualizing this character. And it just, it pains us to see her written this way. But again, our personal investment in this fictional character is not the point. So our bad 
Thank you for calling in and sharing your experience. Hi, Sophie and Lauren. Love the podcast and you guys in the account. I have a question. Do you guys think KDS wears weed socks? They just seem the type, like the type of character that would own all sorts of weed merch, especially after this episode when they made a weed reference every time they were on screen. There is no way that Che Diaz doesn't own several pairs of weed socks. Like, Che Diaz probably manufactures them and sells them at their shows. Because weed is a very big part of Che's identity. Yeah, I believe that's Che's entire personality. <laughs> Che's like Machine Gun Kelly. They are weed. Hi, I'm in the middle of listening to your Be Nice episode, and I have to ask you to, to stop doing that. Just be yourself because I need it. Done. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we got several calls that expressed this sentiment and we hear you and we're trying to find a sense of balance. Also, don't worry, like we couldn't stop being bitches if we tried. And boy, did this episode test our patience. I want to ask you because I want to be a good ally. Am I part of the evolution? Because I would like to be part of the revolution. <laughs> Wait, what? That is. I don't even remember this. Yes, this is Che's <laughs> lines in this rally. Um, visibility is not justice. This could also no hiding. <laughs> also, shout out to the allies. Shout out to you and Brady Hobbs and like whatever his fucking girlfriend's, girlfriend's name, name is. is. Such good allies. It also at times felt like a speech that could be said in a superhero film. Like I could hear Batman being like, as we know, visibility isn't justice, but visibility is the key that unlocks it all. In this scene, it really does feel like Che was created by some bot who watched 10,000 hours of Leah Delaria's stand-up, but then like totally missed the point. I think the bot also watched some drag race because there was like some occurs and some yas queens and things like that thrown in there as well. I did feel deeply uncomfortable when Che said that uh, the audience was making them wet and then did <laughs> and then did bloop a bloop. I did not consent to that kind of talk. <laughs> you know what I liked in this scene? So Miranda obviously sees Brady and is hiding from him. And I love when she hides behind that one fabulous extra, that like stone butch dyke in the leather jacket. Like I love an extra that like really delivers a wordless, silent, one second performance. Of like, what's up with this bitch? <laughs> So Miranda's like runs away in a really funny comedic way. Trying to escape any situation in wedges is just never going to work. You know what it actually reminded me of is the first film where all the women like very rudely bully Miranda about her <laughs> bush. And then she has to like angrily walk away, but she's wearing like five inch cork wedges. So Miranda comes back with iced coffee and that's her excuse for leaving. And she admits to Che that her child was there and Che's like, what's the big deal? You know, he doesn't know you're in an open marriage, which it's like, did you not like seven episodes ago see her freak the fuck out about you giving her child weed? Well, also like, did you see this frazzled married woman and think like this is someone that's in an open relationship? <laughs> because especially as a queer person, I can speak from experience. Like you can tell when someone is like, married and like cheating on their husband you know uh chelsea i can tell you from the he heterosexual end we can also tell <laughs> you can definitely tell when a guy tells you actually i'm in an open marriage and if it's true or if it's not true <laughs> yeah but i think it's really interesting because che is so like granular about expressing their identity they're like 
I'm bi. I'm non-binary. I believe that the reality of this character would be either non-monogamous or polyamorous, which I don't mean this to be as a generalization. Obviously, all non-binary people and bisexual people are not poly, but I believe that Che would be non-monogamous, but has not outright said that to Miranda, right? Why would we miss that possibility for next episode? I think we all know what's going to happen in Cleveland. <laughs> Nothing good is happening in Cleveland. It is, it's not hot in Cleveland. <laughs> Or maybe it's hot in Cleveland, but with Che and someone that isn't Miranda. Also, I want to say that even though we have our share of critiques about the direction that Miranda's character has gone in, I think it needs to be said that Cynthia is an incredible actress and not to be a bitch, but she carried this scene. All right. Now we're at Carrie's apartment or the Barney's warehouse sale that is in Carrie's apartment right now. I spotted and many callers and DMs have pointed out the kimono from season two that we did a whole series of posts about because that was one of our favorite items that got reused in the first and second season. And then someone pointed out that the actual last time you see that kimono is when she dates the drunk guy um, who falls off the wagon after having sex with Carrie and is naked on her street and she throws throws the kimono to him. So I guess when uh, he got to whatever step that is to apologize, he brought the kimono back to Carrie. I hope so. Isn't that what she wore to the opening of the of vagina? Charlotte's vagina? The vagina paintings. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Seema comes over, Carrie busts out the Versace gown, which is fabulous, although it's the most un-Versace Versace dress I've ever seen in my life. Like... It looks like old Galliano or Dolce & Gabbana or something. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Also, this is nitpicky, but she's never actually worn this dress. No, she's never left the house. You want to know why? Because it's a dress right off of the runway, and no matter what tall heels, as a fellow five foot four woman, Sarah Jessica Parker wears, she's never going to be able to walk in that dress. Like, where would you wear a dress like that apart from the Met Gala or some, like, masquerade ball in Venice or something? How did she get that from Paris back to New York? I don't know, but I love that we have to suspend our disbelief and just think that she came with that very small amount of Vivian Westwood luggage. (laughs) I mean, it's one of the few moments if you've listened to us before if you've listened to the actors or the crew talk michael patrick king has like a very sharp view of what clothing can be in the world and what can't which is kind of ironic as you see the clothing choices as they go on but this was like a fight between patricia field and michael patrick king about using that versace dress because it arrived in the studio during the sixth season and then he was like you know what fuck it let's suspend belief she fell asleep in that dress And thank God, because, I mean, we love these over-the-top moments. Like, I also love the outfits that are more grounded in realism, obviously. And I actually really liked the outfit that Carrie wore in this scene. It was like a vintage sweatshirt with some sort of, like, vintage dress underneath it, or vintage-looking dress. I thought it was, like, again, like, harking back to the styling of the show and not the films. We would be remiss if we did not mention that when she opens the door for Seema, she's wearing the Heidi dress from season two. Well, she's holding it. She's holding it. Sorry, sorry. 
That's what I meant to say. Yeah, I loved that. I really, really appreciated all of the fashion callbacks in this episode. It's just like super fun for us, who are obviously obsessed with the clothes on Sex in the City. Who built a cottage industry discussing the outfits of Sex in the City. Did you think when Carrie told Seema that she couldn't smoke, which I thought Seema also had some of the best dialogue in this episode, where she goes, I have to smoke. I feel like I just had sex. Well, also like how she was like, yeah, once I woke up with a lit cigarette, in my hand like love that but did you think that Carrie was like you can't smoke around the clothing because as we pointed out wouldn't the clothing stink of smoke but she's like no I'm gonna want to smoke too much yeah I mean let's face it like all of Carrie's clothes have absorbed like at least 15 years of Marlboro lights right I actually think it would have been funny if like Lily just opened some box and that just like reeked and she was like oh I haven't like dry cleaned that shit because I definitely did that like when I smoked back when I smoked we are introduced to Carrie's downstairs neighbor which even Carrie asked how could she afford the good apartment who knew there was an even better apartment in this apartment building yeah to which Seema remarks, she's probably a Russian hooker, which we've gotten DMs that people did not appreciate that phrasing, but I'm... From sex workers or Russians? Russians. Okay, well, they're just anti-sex work, clearly. <laughs> so it could have been an opportunity, I will say, for Carrie to be like, I believe they're called sex workers now. Yeah, but I like that they didn't do that for once. Obviously, this is a offensive term, but it did hark back to the original Sex in the City where they said hooker constantly. Hey, Chell, your hair is looking really good today. Is it? Would you say that it's thicker, stronger, and more luscious? Um, I mean, I feel like only you could say if it's stronger, but yeah, you know, it's giving me season five Carrie Sassy Bob vibes. Well, you know, I'm using Nutrafol these days. You mean the number one dermatologist recommended physician formulated daily hair growth supplements clinically shown to increase hair growth and improve hair quality? That's the one. Look, you've probably heard your favorite podcast or influencer talking about Nutrafol and we're no different. It's fab. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning. Stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair growth. Whether you are experiencing hair loss after having a baby or from a bout of COVID or simply want shinier, healthier, more voluminous hair, Nutrafol's natural ingredients are clinically proven to support your hair growth. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code OUTFIT to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code OUTFIT. So Carrie is plagued by her very loud neighbors. Her very chic neighbor also, might I just say. Yeah, I did not care for her friends and the, say, and the repeated phrasing of dude. Yeah, but I just think she's like chic and fab. Oh, no. She herself is obviously the modern avatar for Carrie. Yeah. I wanted to get a sense of what your feeling was about the loudness of neighbors because it unlocked for me like memories of living in New York and just stoop culture. I've been on both sides of this situation. But 2 a.m. is fair to be like, shut the fuck up. Well, it depends on the day. Like Friday, yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like, okay. Yeah. But if it's Tuesday, shut the fuck up. 
Well, I know you would be leaning out that window. Oh, yeah. I have no compunction. I mean, I was born an 80-year-old man, so I go to restaurants and think the music's too loud. I think it really depends, but I also think that loudness is just like an inherent part of living in New York. That can't be changed. Yeah. Like, you need to have earplugs. Like, you need to, like, figure your shit out. So Carrie is distraught, so she calls that guy. Jackie, played by the comedian Bobby Lee. Who, to me, doesn't really feel like a real person. Like, he feels like a DJ that Stabler would interview on (laughs) Law & Order SVU. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, he seems like the guy that is, like, the second person they go to that leads them eventually to the murderer. And, like, this slang that he uses, I've never heard before. Like, I've never heard someone be like, hey, what's the buzz? Like, is that something that people say? I don't know. Anyway... His only suggestion is, unless you have a gun, you can't do anything. Yeah. So Charlotte wants Harry to wear a fitness ring. (sighs) Yeah. I I mean, I don't even know how to talk about this. I was not prepared for Harry's cyber skin cock. It's very clear that the actor who plays Harry, Evan Handler, had a hand in uh, picking his fake dong, which it's very much a fake penis. I think we've done SpawnCon for that dildo before, actually. (laughs) Did he steal it from Che Diaz's backpack is the question. I mean, this is the most dick we've ever gotten on Sex in the City because we saw kind of like the profile of Richard's dick. During the series, and then don't we see, uh, what's that guy's name? Gil- Jill's Marin's penis in the first film? Oh yeah, we see like, again, it's like a profile. By the way, is cinematically the only way to film a penis? Because I don't know about you, Chelsea. I don't ever want to see a flaccid dick. I don't need to see it. No shade to our male listeners. No, 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 no. We like to see a hard dick. Right. A flaccid one. What are we doing here? Other than Michael Patrick King got word that Euphoria was showing all the dicks and he was like, hold my Cosmo. You were discussing this on the episode that we did recently where we talked about Euphoria, that there does seem to be this trend of... Oh, trying to like rebalance so much female nudity with male nudity? Yeah, like as some sort of like subversion of the male gaze or something. (laughs) But it really just means we have to look at like these weird prosthetic dicks. Well, this episode, one was fake, one was real. Anyway, Charlotte's going to blow Harry. And uh, then Lily comes in and Charlotte slams the door in her face, which I don't know why Charlotte feels bad about that because (laughs) I think that like accidentally injuring your child is like much better parenting than like letting your child see you have sex. Fair enough. And then she tells her that she was checking daddy's penis for cancer. Which is line of the episode. Also, it was a very plausible explanation for Char to pull out of her ass on the spot. Like, I was impressed. Yeah, that was on par with when Carrie said right as Charlotte was about to walk down the the aisle. Oh yeah, maybe he jerked (laughs) off and uh, was too embarrassed to tell you. So Carrie's neighbor comes to apologize. She has really incredible abs. What a sweetheart. She seems great. And for some reason, Carrie doesn't want it to be known that they were being loud, but they went on until four in the morning. Like Carrie didn't say anything until 4 a.m. I think that's very fair. 
You know what the correct thing to do is like in what New Yorkers actually do is you have your neighbor's phone number and you text them like, hey, like this is where the divide of like where the apartment actually is that they film, which is on Perry Street in the West Village versus where the apartment is said to be, which is the Upper East Side, which is definitely someone living in the adjacent brownstones would have called the cops or yelled at her by now. You don't spend some narc. You, yeah, you don't spend millions on a brownstone, especially on the Upper East Side. The West Village, you're like, all right, I'm in like a place that people party and frequent. Yeah, but... I made my bed. I'm going to lie in it. So the girls are at the Chelsea Market, which we've never seen them go there before, but okay. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Miranda says that she's going to have the divorce talk with Steve. And Carrie's like, well, I guess I can't talk about my neighbor now. <laughs> it's like... Bitch, your best friend just said that she's going to ask the father of her child for a divorce. Like, that should take precedence over your neighbor. Look, at least we didn't get a, um, unless you're going to have the divorce talk after your husband died, I win. <laughs> All right, so we, we, we didn't get that. Well, it was also interesting because Miranda did not seem to have any anxiety about this. Well, yeah, I mean, in the next scene between Carrie and Miranda, there is this sense of, like, he knows that we're going to talk about this. And it's like, does he? I think, like, anyone in this situation would have raging anxiety and dread around this. I mean, you and I have raging anxiety and we don't have anything. (laughs) Exactly, because, like, she does love Steve and she knows that Steve's a good guy. It's one thing if you have to eject yourself from, like, a really toxic relationship or something. Then you might, like feel a little bit better about it but and she also seems to have no compunction nor do her friends remind her although maybe carrie's keeping it in because she also had an affair and miranda was chill about it technically yeah but she's having a full-blown affair this isn't like when steve slept with someone this is a, a first emotional and now very physical affair And affairs are stressful, which I think was conveyed really well in the Mr. Big Aiden drama of season three. Charlotte tells her girlfriends, which I don't know why, that Lily caught them uh, blowing Harry. I thought that was funny. I mean, I think that these scenes where it's the three of them eating are the str- are usually the strongest of the episode. Also, I felt like if Samantha was there, she'd be like, of course she still blows him. She's the only one in a happy marriage. <laughs> yeah. We listened to the Writer's Room podcast for this episode. And an ongoing narrative that they wanted to put in this episode is the idea of being a witch or that old women are witches. Right. So, so that's why we have Carrie in the like green mask. mask. When the neighbor comes over, it starts with Jackie saying, we had a neighbor that confronted us about noise and we called them the wicked witch of the Upper West Side. And then they go to this like witch themed brownie store. The brownie was a throwback to the episode with Nina Katz. Like, remember, there was like some whole bit where I think Carrie and Samantha. Oh, are at a lunch place. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we're like, she made a face and there's this Kim Cattrall's like, I guess I'll take the brownie or something at the end. Oh, yeah. Because it gets super awkward. They've also done this witch storyline or made reference that older women are considered witches in the first film where Miranda goes, am I a witch or am I a, I forget what the other thing. Yeah, and it's wearing a witch costume. Well, then there was also the Witches of Eastwick reference when they were all wearing black at the baby shower. What was that? 
Oh, season one? Yeah. There are certain things that are very particular to Michael Patrick King. And in interviews I've listened to of him and through this podcast, he seems to have really internalized the online discourse that people were like, these women are older. But he's taken that to mean that old equals uncool, which is like, Carrie is cool. It doesn't matter her age. And it's super weird that they are continuing to pump this storyline because we're at this time, at least pop culturally, where we like exalt eccentric older women like a Helena Bonham Carter and Isabelle Huppert, Jane Fonda. So it's like, cool is cool. That, that Like age has no impact on that. Well, totally. And like... You know, there's incredibly glamorous women, like Corrine Reutfeld or someone, you know, or her avatar, that woman from Emily in Paris, (laughs) whose name escapes me. (laughs) One thing I want to say about Daddy MPK is that I find his voice to be so soothing. Like, if I could listen to, like, those bedtime stories. You want the combat bedtime stories with Michael Patrick King? Yeah, I would do it. I referenced this a couple of minutes ago, but Miranda's confidence that she's not fucking up Steve's world, that there's been such a lack of communication between the two of them, but she really believes that he won't be surprised that she's going to bring up a divorce because he feels it too. It's like, does he? Yeah, I'm not getting that vibe from Steve. Also, I think in this scene, it becomes even more clear that this is not something that Carrie supports. Like, Carrie does not want Miranda to do this. But if you are, spend a couple bucks, get a brownie. But also, she asks her something important, which is like, well, where is Che in all of this? Like, is Che that into you? Fair enough. Which takes us into the next scene where Miranda meets Che somewhere in Midtown. I think coming out of the podcast studio, even though Carrie is not there, we should say before we get even more voicemails about this, there is definitely a continuity error. I want to believe that it is because of some kind of production thing. But in the scene before, Miranda's like, I'm going to go home tonight and tell him. Oh, and right. And then it's the next day. Unless that could be lunch, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I guess the Chelsea markets are, you know, there's no natural light really in that place. So maybe they're having lunch and then Miranda goes to meet Che. Oh, yeah, I totally didn't get that. There was also, I think we've gotten DMs and calls from people that have been talking about how they were kind of confused by the montage from last week's episode and believed that that an entire year had passed. Because it did seem like a lot of different weather, right? It was like spring, snow, leaves, like... Yeah, I think it was an additional three months. No, 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 wait, hold on. Because then Carrie, we have the Charlotte Lily scene, which seems to be its own tea lunch setting, and then Lily goes to Carrie's house for a sleepover. So yeah, there is a continuity fuck up here. Anyway, so Miranda shows up at Che's workplace as Che is about to get in an Uber to go to Cleveland. Che's booked and busy. I was also impressed by the size of Che's weekender bag. I was like, wow, you you pack light. Like, you have a whole ass show and stuff. Well, again, I imagine that in every city they're in, queer brands are just sending them merch. Yeah, just graphic tea after graphic tea. Uh, um, <laughs> okay. Would Che be in love with Miranda? I don't believe that they are. And I don't know if it's because the line was not delivered convincingly enough or because we're supposed to think that they're lying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cynthia, I completely believe. 
and it's also for me i'm coming at this with a hetero heterosexual perspective where it's like if look at you carrie bradshaw Later that evening, I got to thinking about my heteronormative perspective. But if three weeks in, you told the person you were sleeping with, I think I'm in love with you, am I crazy? That's when a guy pieces the fuck out. Yeah, but that's like totally normal in queer culture. Right. That's the divide. of. That's even like, that's like waiting a long time. <laughs> like you could get there in 10 days. <laughs> I would agree with you, but men don't tend to agree. <laughs> Whether Che loves Miranda or not is kind of pointless because the headline is Che's like, it doesn't matter. You have to understand what I am into is not traditional. And I think anyone else who heard that was like, that means open relationship. Yeah, or Polly, one or the other. And how Miranda heard that was like, oh, my life is traditional, so I just want anything that's not that. Yeah, I mean, I understand that disjunct for her, but I don't understand why Che Diaz wouldn't just come out and say it. Also, I think a more realistic scenario that could cause some tension in Miranda and Che's burgeoning romance was if from the get-go, Che was like, hey, I'm non-monogamous. And Miranda was like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Because when you're obsessed with someone and they're in an open relationship, like, you go for it. Uh, you don't have to tell me twice, Chell. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot about that. <laughs> you do. And you know what? Half the time you end up breaking up the primary relationship anyway, so it works out. Not in my case, unfortunately. Not in your case, but... <laughs> You know, and and maybe Miranda would sort of suffer from the delusion that, okay, if I get Steve out of the equation, then maybe I'll get all of Che. And then she'll find Che, like, fucking some, like, tattooed guy in a Cleveland hotel room. Spoilers. <laughs> Let's be honest, guys. We all know what's going to happen next episode. So there's a brief interlude with Carrie's neighbor's boyfriend, Guy. And we get our second cock appearance. I didn't need it, but fine. Well, we got real dick this time. How would you think of that dick? It seemed fine. I mean, he seemed like a hot guy. This is my point to you about seeing flaccid dicks. The only way to film that kind of full frontal shot with a guy is I think the what we've talked about, which is a side profile, or I think who did it best was David Fincher in Gone Girl when you see like the side of Ben Affleck's definite half chub. That wasn't him completely flaccid. Dad, I hope you've stopped listening by now. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to like light that dick perfectly from the side. You know what I mean? I thought the cinematography in that scene was pretty good. Yeah. So now we have a Charlotte and Lily high tea scene. I felt Charlotte in the scene where Lily's like, I have to go get a straw. And Charlotte's like, we're in a restaurant. It's what they do. Yeah. But that's all just so that Charlotte can discover that Lily has a finsta, which I was convinced that at some point Lily was going to be like, it's called a finsta, mom. And yeah, she took a sexy, but not that sexy. No. I mean, they knew where the line was with this because she is 15 and they didn't want it to be like a dark, depraved discovery. Like no SVU vibes. Yeah, there are a lot of moments in this episode that feel like it's about to, we're we're about to hear that dun dun. So Lily is archiving Carrie's fashion archive, which is something we posited would would happen. We yeah, did, you called that. I'm impressed. I do fancy myself a writer. We did think that it would involve the gigantic storage unit. Right. But I was actually moved by Carrie talking to Charlotte and talking her through this issue of the fact that I she's working through something. 
Yeah. I thought that was very lovely. And, you know, I continue to love Charlotte on this show. One thing I will say is that I really wish that they would give her a plot line that doesn't involve being a mother. Or blowing her husband. Or a wife. (laughs) Yeah. I'd really like to see her get back into the art world or, I don't know, have some addiction issues like Miranda or something. So Lily is in the infamous single and fabulous poncho. Love that reference. Yeah, so great. I mean, again, just like the most beautiful callbacks. Molly is just killing it with that stuff. And they have a little sleepover, which I wasn't expecting, but I love it. Carrie is once again woken up or is kept up by loud music. So she goes downstairs and her neighbor's door happens to be open. And this is where I was like, oh, this is the beginning of an SVU episode. Yeah. But instead, she just sort of stares at her and looks at her mail so that she can get her full name to Google her. I mean, as if you wouldn't. It was touching how she did blow out the candle. (laughs) Although, if your neighbor, like, has fallen asleep with the candle, like, you have to do that for your own safety as well as theirs. That's true. And also, I guess they were trying to make it seem like, because Carrie is in a black robe, that once again, she's a witch and she's found Sleeping Beauty. Right. I mean, I will say that This woman looks very glamorous, passed out. She looks incredibly glamorous, but like Sarah Jessica Parker looks amazing. Her body is amazing. Her clothing is on point. So again, I don't, I get what they're trying to do, but in execution, it's like, it doesn't work. Like this character would revere. Also, as we learn, if she's a jewelry designer, she would know who Carrie fucking Bradshaw is and be like, you're cool. Cool recognizes cool. It does not matter age. But... I actually did enjoy this plot line in general. Our friends at Green Chef are back, and boy, am I happy to have them in my life. Are you dating Green Chef now? I love this for you. I wish, because there are no mixed signals with Green Chef. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Green Chef is America's number one meal kit for eating well with a range of recipes that suit your needs. I'm not going to lie, I haven't really entered 2022 as my best self. I've been more takeout-oriented than workout-oriented, so Green Chef is getting me back on the home cooking track. Green Chef saves you time by taking care of meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you week after week, so you have more time to explore the Che Diaz hashtag on Twitter. Between the holidays and my grief eating, a lot of carbs have been consumed over the last month, so I'm partaking in their keto plan, which is the first ever and only keto meal kit on the market. Oh God, you're not going to become one of those people, are you? No, but let me tell you about the cauliflower rice bowl I had with smoky chicken and kale. You can't even tell, it's not actually rice. And I'll be enjoying the enchiladas from their balanced living menu. Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh and features a wider array of meal plans to choose from, whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals. Green Chef has something to suit every lifestyle. Go to greenchef.com slash outfit130 and use code outfit130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Okay. Yeah. Where do we even want to start with the Miranda Steve conversation? I guess just general thoughts. Mine being like, this was very depressing. I was really holding out hope that when this conversation happened, he was going to be like, oh yeah, Miranda, I feel the same way. Like we've seen it coming for a long time. Let's do the best that we can do. The fact that he is blindsided by this, 
I don't understand what the writers are trying to do. And I did listen to the Writer's Room podcast. And I guess they had everyone, there was a Miranda button and a Steve button and a discussion whether to keep them together or not keep them together. And obviously they chose not to keep them together. But the point that they make is that they, they believe that each character deserves to be happy. Which is true, and I think everyone agrees upon, but I don't think they seem to realize that they created a character in Miranda this season that the audience doesn't feel deserves to be happy. No, it's true. I mean, it was very heartbreaking when Steve said, you don't think I'm enough, and then I'm kind of enough, and then I'm not enough again, which is such a succinct and beautiful way of explaining her her shifting opinions about Steve throughout the course of their relationship. And he has always been there for her. And I mean, she wasn't going to bring up the Che Diaz of it all, but when he asks her, you know, do you think there's better out there? And that's when her hand is sort of forced to talk about Che. Well, I understand why they cut it where they did, but I would have liked to hear that. Because in addition to the reveal of an affair, it's also a coming out situation (laughs) oh yeah like that's like a lot and then it's just like i'm sorry but i don't believe that steve wouldn't get pissed at that point because in those situations how long has this been going on like have you fucked like that you know that's just like a natural uh response to have you want the scene between clive owen and julia roberts in uh closer (laughs) look i mean i think this is like depressing and i feel bad for steve but i'm on miranda's side we only have one life she's not happy And if you're not happy in your relationship, then you need to end it, even if you do hurt someone's feeling. Because the reality of relationships is that being with someone for your entire life, like that is a big thing, you know? Like it's really hard to sustain a relationship forever. I mean, especially when this is enough for one person and it isn't for the other. This is where a lot of my criticism about the show is what they're trying to do completely makes sense, but it's in the execution and the choices they've made that it's very hard to get the audience on the side of. I mean, we talked about... No, it's true. We talked about Scream 5 earlier in the week and like minor spoiler for Scream 5, but... They broke Dewey and Gale up pre-film because as an audience, if you are a fan of Scream, you know that David Arquette and Courtney Cox were married, got divorced, are no longer together. And if you're a fan of Sex and the City, you know that Cynthia Nixon is queer now. And so I feel like if they had broken Steve and Miranda up before the series began, during the pandemic... And she's on this journey to explore herself. And because of the pandemic, finances, whatever, they still live under the same roof. I think you would have the audience go on this journey more. But how they've chosen to present Miranda as a character is very difficult to have the audience on their side. And it's unfortunate because I do think that there is a big element of bravery with what Miranda is doing. A lot of people settle. A lot of people stay in those relationships forever. A lot of people aren't brave enough to take that risk. But because Steve is so beloved to us and so innocent in all of this, it's hard for us to celebrate Miranda for making this liberating decision because it's so fucking sad. And also, the writers made a choice in the series, in the film, to show us for an extended amount of time that they were endgame. That, you know, at every point, 
I mean, she left Blair Underwood for Steve, okay? Yeah, wow. (laughs) And also, I think why the audience isn't going for this storyline is because they did this storyline in the first film and they chose to be together again. Because also, she's like... And then they had hot sex, which made us believe that (laughs) Miranda did enjoy fucking him. Although, maybe she did. Like, Miranda hasn't defined herself. She could be bi. We haven't really had that discussion yet. I understand we are people in our 30s commenting on the lives of people in their 50s, but it's it's something that we agree is true to life. And we applaud Miranda for living her true self, but you can't expect that the audience is going to go with you on this, especially when you're showing it this way. That the way she got out of this relationship was cheating her way out of it. To have this character that we have followed for 20 years be like, I've never been happy. It's like, then what the fuck was the first film? Well, and also to leave Steve for a character that's extremely divisive. (laughs) That that? That, regardless of what you think about Che, that is written as a fuckboy. And we can see that. We are already getting the sense that this is not a stable situation. And I don't know about you, but like I'm seeing the discourse online. We're now happy. This is the part I can't get over. We're now happy that this is going to blow up in Miranda's face. And I never thought we would get here. Yes, like Miranda's year of self-discovery is very chaotic and feels unstable in You know, I think it's normal for the audience to be concerned about her. Sorry to keep referencing the Writer's Room podcast, but I truly felt like I was going crazy listening to it. Because when you listen to them talk about how they came up with these decisions, you're like, yeah, I completely get it. It all makes sense. But then when you see the execution, it's like they're talking about a different show. Like Michael Patrick King, that scene after- Okay, I can't take any more daddy MPK slander in this episode. I want to get your opinion on this because, right, the the following scene is Miranda on the phone in a car, and she seems to be quite manic. Yeah, and she's I, completely manic. Their intention was she, that is euphoria of being your true self. And it's like, oh no, because it reads to the audience as someone who's manic and making bad decisions. Well, also, like, we get scared when she says, I'm in a rom-com because we're not anticipating a rom-com ending in Cleveland. No. I I enjoy Carrie's reaction where she's like, okay, all right. It's not like she's going to go to Che's show and the crowd's going to part and Che's going to see Miranda standing there and they're going to be a couple. Like, there's a 0% chance of that happening. If anything, Che's going to be like, why the fuck are you here? Like, this is wigging me out. Like, this is inappropriate, kind of, right? Although Che, again, did say that they loved her. But I still, again, I don't know what to, I don't know if I can believe it. Chelsea, I think I've dated Che. <laughs> I know I've dated Che. You know what? That's probably why the character is so divisive, is we've all dated a Che in our lives, and it's... It's hitting us a certain way. But that's the other thing. This is not a daddy MPK slander because they've also, it's obvious that because the original series loved to do a kind of pie in the face moment and they are clearly building up a pie in the face moment for Miranda and we are as an audience so delighted by this. I'm not delighted by it because (laughs) I'm still so attached to this character. Miranda. Yes. And I love Cynthia as an actress. So I want this to go. I want this to go somewhere nice. And again, Cynthia's performance throughout this episode is top notch. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why she's an Oscar away from an EGOT. She's an actual genius. The penultimate scene is 
Carrie's going down the stairs and witnesses a fight between Lizette and her uh, her own West Elm Caleb. Chelsea, has Tat made you aware of what West Elm Caleb is on TikTok? Oh, God. I think so. It's just the internet or women of a certain age living in New York City have all apparently dated this one guy who's a designer at West Elm named Caleb and he's a real fuckboy. It took TikTok to bring them all together. <laughs> That's cute. But anyway, she has a fight with this guy, which I guess we're supposed to understand it's like this is Carrie's avatar, but it's like I would have loved in Sex and the City to have to see Carrie have messy fights on the street or in her apartment with boyfriends. Yeah. She's a real passive gal. I do like that the guy says she goes, If you come back, I'm gonna call the cops and he's like, Do it, they don't come anymore. Also, I thought this was an interesting scene because there was the tension between like, is this going to escalate into a DV situation? I think Law and Order has broken our brains, Chelsea. And is this just a really nasty fight? Yeah. But I really like this. I think it's realistic. In New York, your neighbors know more about you than they should. And sometimes you have a moment like this. And I also like how Lizette was like, sorry about that. And Carrie's like, I get it. It's just New York dating. Like anywhere else but New York, this would be like a horrifying DV situation. But in <laughs> in New York, it's like shit is so rough that this is just how we date and like interact with our partners. Yeah, I think if that happened in LA, no one would get involved mostly because they would think it's some uh, covert YouTuber prank or something to see how people <laughs> will, will react. We didn't get into Lizette is not a Russian hooker. She is a Jew a very fab jewelry designer. So she's clearly subletting that apartment. How much do we think that rent is? 10 grand, 12 grand, 20 grand a month? I don't know. You're the real estate bitch, not me. Um, I mean, hovels in LA that are two bedrooms are going for nearly four grand. So I can only imagine. But that's some, Lizette's got some generational wealth going on. I'm sure she's a very talented, successful jewelry designer, but. Yeah, she's got to be like the next coming of Elsa Peretti to afford that apartment. And then Carrie goes back to her apartment, puts on this beautiful Versace gown. Yes. Eats Jiffy Pop by herself. Yeah, I don't remember the end just like that, mostly because I was trying to make sense of like smoking, not okay in the apartment, but like eating buttery, salty popcorn in the haute couture dress is okay. <laughs> yeah, that you're right. That is fucked up. Oh, and we totally skipped over the fabulous babushka outfit, which we finally got to see and was great. Again, it's the problem of us having dissected these outfits through paparazzi photos before. Is it like completely just goes out of your head? So Carrie tells Seema earlier in the episode, right, the only way that she smokes now, again, it's not because she doesn't want smoke on her clothing. It's that if she doesn't have that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow self-will to only smoke a cigarette once a year. Gwyneth Paltrow smokes one cigarette a month. Oh, right, right, right. That is the ultimate discipline. I mean, I, I really can't stop thinking about it. Carrie, on the other hand, allows herself a cigarette a day and wrapped in Playtex gloves, many scarves, so that she will not be reminded by the smell of cigarettes or she will literally start smoking two packs a day is what it seems like. Okay, I'm into it. If that's what we needed to do to get Carrie in this outfit... I'm fine with it. But back to the last scene, the end just like that of this episode is, and just like that, I realize that there are some things that should never be put into storage. Incorrect. That dress should 100% be put into storage. Actually, she should gift that dress 
to the Metropolitan Costume Institute, actually. Well, yeah, a dress like that does need to be, like, stored in a crate permanently. Like her wedding dress. Well, okay, one thing. I understand how this and just like that relates to the final scene in the dress, but does it relate to the episode as a whole? Because I feel like usually they do, aside from the and just like that big died. I think there's a larger idea of deconstructing Carrie. I mean, Daddy MPK has said that, that he had to kind of destroy her to build her back up. Destroy her Lars von Trier style. (laughs) I would love a Lars von Trier film that's like Charlotte Gainsbourg having to go through. It's just all, it's very Dogma 95, all in one room, long takes, but it's just her going through her closet. If Lars von Trier was like directing Sex in the City, it was directing and just like that, what would the show look like? Beautiful, I'm sure. What? <laughs> I mean, it would just be like melancholia, I guess. I hope not like nymphomaniac. Whose clit's getting chopped off? <laughs> yeah, whose dick's getting bludgeoned? <laughs> Well, I can guess, actually, yeah. We know. We know the answer to that. I think that this was about Carrie reevaluating herself, even though the archiving of her closet is kind of in the background, narrative-wise, but I think the idea is what parts of Carrie is she putting into storage versus not. Right. And eccentric dressing for no one but herself is not one of them. And you know what? That's a lesson we could all take. Yeah. But I just find it weird that the storyline isn't fine. You want to talk about how, I guess, we culturally bludgeon these women about their age, which I don't know where this comes from, other than the fact of, like, yeah, they're older. But why doesn't Carrie have a realization? Or why isn't Lizette like, you're so cool? Because that is what Lizette would do. Lizette would be like, I'm going to design a whole collection about you. Would you star in my campaign? Like, that is the shit that would happen. It's true. I mean, I guess it would maybe be a little too obvious for her to be like, nice shoes or something. But something in that vein, maybe. Yeah, they keep trying to invalidate Carrie or make it seem like society is invalidating Carrie where we've seen over and over again that a woman who's had the life that she's had would just become more known in like a Fran Lebowitz style. Yeah, I mean, this woman, like approximations of this woman exist. Obviously, there's Candace. Bushnell, yes. Then there's, you know, yeah, like a Plum Sykes or something. Our beloved housewives. And what's her face from Emily in Paris? We're going to get so many calls being mad at us that we can't remember her name. Well, this was fun. Always. Love- it got dark, though, during that Miranda and Steve part. Oh, I thought not the Lars von Trier part. <laughs> that, that was the fun part of the episode. Psyched for Cleveland. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week talking about this again. Also, thank you so much to everyone who has been calling into the hotline. Like, we're obsessed with the calls. It sucks that we can't, like, respond. I mean, I guess we could, like, just call people, but that seems kind of inappropriate. We are going to do a very special episode in the coming weeks that is just us listening to and responding to calls. So... Keep that in mind in the next week or so when you're calling into the hotline. It could be about kind of more general and just like that stuff. It doesn't have to be so specific to the previous episode. episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.